friends, you have now entered the Man Cave Podcast with Dan Casper, a podcast where we talk mostly about sports, but sometimes we mix in some other fun topics and conversations. So sit back and join us on this episode of the Man Cave Podcast with Dan Casper. What's up, everybody? Welcome to this episode of the Man Cave Podcast, brought to you by our good friends from Hy-V and Toys and Ford. I'm your host, Dan Casper. As always, for every episode of the Man Cave Podcast, on this episode, we're going to talk a little Brewers, looking ahead to these uh, to this uh, series with the Kansas City Royals coming up. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, the Bucks, latest in the coaching search there. So we've heard some names. We've got five names out there, four or five names out there. Uh, what we're going to do here, and those four or five names have been reported that the Bucks have reached out to them or they've already talked to them. Uh, we're going to rank them. Brandon and I are going to rank them on who we think is the best option based off those names for the for the head coaching job. So like Nick Nurse is not in this exercise because we haven't heard yet whether the Bucks have reached out uh, to him or have any interest in him. Same for like Becky Hammond and such. So we got that. We're going to talk with Dr. Crow. For our Inside the Training Room segment uh, in the, uh, Chippewa Valley Orthopedics and Sports Medicine's Dr. Crow. But uh, we lead off this podcast uh, talking a little bit about the schedule. I mean, I don't want to get too deep into the schedule because we already knew the opponents and that, um, you know, home and away and sort of thing. The schedule, you know, just kind of for, for me, I can plan stuff. Maybe my remaining vacation days, that's what I do. I, I hold on to some vacation days based off the football schedule because I don't like to miss a radio show on Friday or Monday of a of a game week, especially a big game. So, uh, and then you just kind of, you know, hunting season for me too, kind of plan around that. So it, and planning on whether you're going to go to a game or not. So that, that to me is why I like the schedule or get interested when the schedule is released because I can kind of finish planning my year. But, you know, I don't, I mean, I don't like picking games after a schedule no. release. No, I to mean. me it's like grading the, you know, a draft afterwards. Where yeah. I had to laugh because there was, uh, actually there was an analyst talking about draft grades where, look, people are going to do it, but I don't put too much stock in it. And mm-hmm. Generally, if you look at enough, you kind of see a variety of grades. But the analyst was la- kind of laughing because they had looked at someone else's grades. And they didn't say who, but. I think I'd seen the same one where every draft grade ranged from A to B minus, <laughs> which I want that guy as you say <laughs> as you know. I, one, I wish I would have had that, those grades when I was in school, wow. but um, as we know, that will not be that way. Where every grade will be, or where every team will get an above average or better mm-hmm. return on their draft investment. That just doesn't happen. Like if you get out of a draft with like. Two good players. That's a great draft. Mm-hmm. So that's you know, and I kind of feel that way a little bit. I like I, I appreciate the different videos and things people are starting to do creatively to you know to announce their schedule. Mm-hmm. But as far as the kind of the the breakdown of oh well, what about you know this versus this and this and this, it's like eh, things mm-hmm. change. Like yeah. you know, speaking of uh, the creativity of the videos, one David Bakhtiari was not. Happy with Green Base. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, I did see the video. I I, I didn't see the video. I, I well, I saw it, but I didn't have the sound on. It was like uh, playing in the background, sort of thing. It was like a TV theme. theme it was like thing. a TV infomercial. Yeah, yeah. And Bakhtiari not happy. Uh, he was tweeting at the uh, uh, media director Jason Wallers. Uh, you know, he was just he called him out for for it on there. So 
Um, it is not. Um, it is not Chargers level of aggressive. No. So if anybody hasn't seen the Chargers one, and you're not realizing <laughs> the uh, the uh, what we were kind of talking about too with the Chippewa Herald, Chippewa Herald is it's mentioned a little, little um, shout out on there. The uh, the last few years, the Chargers have been known for being pretty. I mean, aggressive, I guess, is one way to put it, but that almost feels like it's too strong. Mm-hmm. Like they're just—they're not afraid to kind of go there when they're talking about teams in their schedule release. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you haven't watched it, go watch it. Yeah, it's if, funny. If you want, it's, it is. It, it's better. It's it's hard for us to kind of explain it yeah, a little bit. It's, so it's in the vein of like an anime, mm-hmm. which for those of you that know, anime is like Japanese animation. Right. Yep. Yeah, they started that one last year, right? Yeah, the they did it last yeah. year, and people really liked it. And yeah, mm-hmm. it's yep. So, but yeah, Bakhtiari not happy with Green Bay's, not happy. So, which I, I I actually did. I saw the video and I actually looked at the comments. A lot of them were basically like, "Hey, you guys actually you know tried something." They did try something. Yeah, 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 they tried something. Yeah. Like it's because usually they don't. It, no, the yeah, it's it's pretty vanilla, mm-hmm. but it's but that you know that's fine. Like, I feel like. If we were to like hand out an Academy Award for best uh, release charger, but Titans are getting a lot of love I, too. I like yeah, the Titans is different because for those of you who didn't see, the Titans uh, just went to like downtown Nashville and were asking tourists like they would show a picture of like a logo for one of the teams they were playing and say, well, who is this? Mm-hmm. And they showed the responses that were way wrong. Yeah, and I think the thing that gets me is because they would be like, you know, they're a person or a group like and they'd be like oh that's you know whatever and then they would flash it on the screen and then it, you know they were wrong like mm-hmm. my favorite part of it was both times that they played the Colts they had these groups of people and both times they were super convinced they knew which one it was and they were wrong they, right. both times they said it was the Dallas Cowboys, Cowboys yeah <laughs> and it's wrong like, so then what they would do is they would flash the Colts logo but put Cowboys on it yeah whatever, the, whatever they would put the the team name as whatever the person said right yep Yep, and, and then they would play the NFL on Fox team, which I think that was kind of what cracked me up because it was just such a quick cut. Yep, and like every every time they were wrong. There was mm-hmm. the Boston Bobcats for the Cincinnati Bengals, the Red Stallions for Atlanta, and Atlanta's having fun with it. They changed yeah. their Twitter name to that. So, um, one time Jacksonville Jaguars were Chester Cheeto, <laughs> <laughs> which his name is yeah. Chester Cheetah, but still, yep, yeah, it was it was yep. good, yeah. Fantastic. That a boy. That a boy. Hey, uh, let's uh, let's lead off here a little bit uh, with baseball because we, I was looking through the injury report here, uh, Austin, and um, I was seeing a lot of guys like like Max Scherzer. He's listed as neck spasms, and I, I saw a couple other guys. They're, they're calling it neck spasms. So, what exactly when when you hear somebody say neck spasm? I mean, like is is it? Kind of like how we know it as, as like a back spasm or anything like that, or is there something maybe a little bit more to it? Do you think? Uh, and usually, it's a somewhat nebulous term. I mean, people often use the term tightness or spasms. I mean, it's not like they're truly walking around with like a, a cramp muscle the whole time. I mean, if you if you had a cramp in your back or neck that didn't go away, you'd be in the ER probably. Um, so a lot of times, this is going to be more like irritability. And the real question, of course, is what's the underlying thing driving that? So that can be just simple like you know musculoskeletal pain just from overuse sometimes you can have an actual you know strain of a muscle in your neck obviously with something more serious would be like a disc herniation or issue like that but that's generally going to present with with more 
what we call radicular symptoms, like nerve-based symptoms, and that'd be much more serious, and they would be, you know, discussing that. So in all likelihood, this is just kind of like an irritable thing, and they, and they, they kind of clump it into this kind of neck or back spasm type category. And there's really probably nothing you can do in terms of, like, you know, increasing or speeding up the, the recovery process, I have to imagine. It's mostly just kind of letting it play out, do you think? Yep, that's exactly what it usually is, is give them a rest. Um, you know, they're going to get tissue work, massaging, ultrasounds, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's going on, like myofascial works, so like cupping. If you remember a couple of years ago in the Olympics, I was like thinking mm. all the swimmers, they had to look like uh, they'd been attacked by big leeches or yeah. something. That's, those are different things that they're trying to do. It's called myofascial techniques. So just different things to work the soft tissues. So they'll get that. But at the end of the day, a lot of times it is simply need some time to heal. You mentioned the company. Like I, admit, I immediately thought of Michael Phelps uh, as soon as mm-hmm. you said that. So is that mostly just for, for muscles uh, with, with that cupping? Uh, technique yep exactly yep yeah that's really what it's it's geared towards i mean the idea is that you're drawing in blood flow it's going to promote healing pulling growth factors all that kind of stuff so um that's really going to be geared at muscle-based problems so you mentioned the the blood flow again and this might be a stupid question that, that i'm going to ask you but you know you because you've mentioned that before in the past with like bones healing is is the most instrumental thing in any type of injury whether it's a, a muscle injury or a bone injury the blood, the blood flow is that the the key ingredient is is I guess your blood in, in recovery. Yeah, yeah, that, it really is. I mean, that's obviously that's the highway for nutrition to get into whatever is healing itself. So that's why certain bones, for example, have a hard time healing. So, like the, the dreaded Jones fracture, we've seen that in a number of athletes um, who've had Jones fractures. That's the the fifth metatarsal stone in your foot that has an area that just doesn't have good blood supply, and that's why it's it's such a bad fracture. Um, there's plenty of other fractures that heal well, and you know it, it, it's not near as big a deal because the blood supply is much more robust. So um, there's certain areas in the body, certain tendons, for example, the rotator cuff parts of the patellar tendon, quad tendon, they just don't get quite as good of uh, circulation of blood flow to them, and they're much more prone to these injuries for that exact reason. So yes, whether it's an acute injury and healing from that or chronic injury, lack of blood supply certainly plays a role in that. So you are, it was not a dumb question. It was a great question. All right. I get one extra gold star for me this morning. So I like <laughs> it. Uh, Dr. Crow inside the training room from Chippewa Valley Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Uh, switching over quick to, to the NBA here. Now, Anthony Davis, uh, he got elbowed uh, to the face of the head a couple days ago. And, you know, there was he was wheeled off in a wheelchair. And there were some people questioning about, you know, what, what, you know, was that overdoing it? And then it sounds like he's out of clear. But one thing I was listening a lot on on some other sports talk radio national ones, and they were kind of criticizing the term like you know concussion like symptoms. Now, and is is that kind of a, a nebulous term? Like you were just kind of saying a little bit earlier with something else. I mean, like concussion like symptoms does that doesn't necessarily mean concussion, but it almost feels like it should be a concussion if they have concussion-like symptoms you know what i'm kind of getting at the yeah no i it it definitely it definitely feels like they're dancing around it i mean at the end of the day it's not like a a acl tear where you get an mri and it's a definitive answer there's no concussion test per se not that there's not assessment tools that we can use but there's not a simple test that we can have like a blood test where it's like all right is there an infection present you know you know those are things that we can sometimes get a very binary answer for concussions are a spectrum right and so we see that where you assess the patient you you know, you look at the neurologic system, you look at the balance system, you look at the eyes, you look at, um, you know, mental acuity, all these different things that we can do. But at the end of the day, you're trying to make a subjective call 
um, whether there's a concussion or not. And I think, you know, there's there's perhaps some hesitancy because they're concerned maybe that's going to keep them out. I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, we all know that really, especially in the NFL, there's been a bigger push to be like, look, let's not sweep around the rug. If anything, let's play it safe and keep people out. Basketball obviously is less contact mm-hmm. um, sometimes <laughs> than <Yeah>. football. <laughs> um, but, you know, I mean, he did take an elbow. I, I, I mean, I, I saw the replay as well. I mean, it, it was definitely a good hit. I, I didn't look that crazy. But sometimes it doesn't have to be that massive of a blow to the head. If you just catch it just right, it rings the bell, as they say. And then, you know, that's what it is. I mean, it's just like you can get a neck spasm. You can have a muscle problem in your neck. You can have an injury to your brain. I mean, that's simply what it is. And so we need to acknowledge that. And so if he's having symptoms like that, I mean, if he's having symptoms like a concussion, that means, he has a concussion. So I, I, I'm with you that it, it just seems weird that they're going to use that verbiage. So to me, he has a concussion. Um, now, he may be mild, and they can put him in the concussion protocol, which is essentially the set of rules that we have to follow to allow pay, a player to get back to participation safely. Um, and if it's mild, then he can come back quickly. Um, but they're, they're, he should be put, man. I would, I would assume and hope that he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, sticking with hoops, and I mean, if Miami wins, they're they're going to be moving on. Sorry, Bucks fans, to, to keep bringing it up here, but uh, uh, one of those players that went out in that Bucks series and Wisconsin native Tyler Hero, and I never got a chance to ask you this, but the fact that you know Miami is continuing to play, there's talk that he could he could be coming back here. You know, six man, one of the best players in the league. Now, when he played the Bucks, I believe it was Game One. You know, it looked like he broke his hand, and they kept him out there and. I'm reading the the surgery he underwent, and it says that he underwent a successful open reduction in internal fixation surgery on the third and fourth metacarpal on his right hand. Can you explain exa- in, in uh, general terms for for the rest of us what uh, yeah. open reduction in internal fixation is? Yep, that's a term we use often. So we just for short, we call it ORIF for reasons because that is a mouthful. So all that means is that we, we actually open it up. So we make an incision in the skin. We realign the bones. That's the open reduction part. So reducing means to put it back where it's supposed to go. And then internal fixation means you put something in there to hold it in place. So it's cutting it open, realigning it, and holding it in place. Metacarpals are generally going to get one of two things. And I, and I suspect he had plates and screws. So the good old-fashioned small plate, you put these little screws that hold the bone together. And that's, uh, that's almost certainly what he had done. You can, for bones like that, also use these like intermedullary wires. So you go inside the bone. So, there are, you know, all of our bones are harder on the outside. It's called cortical bone. And they have, we have softer cancellous bones. So you can slide things inside of them. For example, we put rods in the tibia and femur. Same concept. It's just much, much smaller. You can do that in the metacarpals. But usually we'll do that in the setting of like a, a polytrauma patient or something along those lines. So my guess is he had plates and screws in there. Um, and you know, often people are able to get back at a month, you know, or so after those injuries, especially if they're able to play with a brace. Um, so that obviously is, uh, going to be, um, affecting him for the playoffs, but, um, the way the NBA playoffs drag on, he might be able to get back if they keep (laughs) advancing. I don't know. So you mentioned that, uh, with the recovery time, it, so I'm going to go back to the blood question. Would it, does the hand have better blood flow for those recoveries than say like a foot injury? Yes, the hand is probably some of the best blood flow in the body. So it, it's, it's you know, this kind of adage that we have in North Peaks. I mean, injuries in the hands heal incredibly well. So that is just, it's just, it's a very important. I mean, it's obviously they're super important to, you know, how we function as human beings. So the body, for that exact reason, shunts a lot of blood to the hands. And so they heal well, they deal with infections well, 
so there's a lot of really good things as far as healing there. So yes, if you look at a fracture in the hand, that'll heal much more quickly than a lower extremity fracture, for example. Interesting. Uh, Andrew Wiggins uh, with Golden State Warriors. I'm going to try to say this one too, but they're saying he's questionable for Game 6 because of a left costal cartilage fracture. What the heck is that? So that would be basically the the cartilage tip um, on the rib. Okay. Uh, and so that it's it's essentially kind of like a a the injury to the the cartilage cap, which I think we've talked about that for a couple other athletes because sometimes they'll they'll use the term like rib tip injury mm-hmm. um, or cartilage cap. Um, you know, there's a lot of different terms that they'll use for it. So the the costal essentially is is in reference to ribs and the cartilage being the cartilage. So it's probably the the the, the cartilage area. Now there's also um, you know, as you get further down, there's some of the, the ribs will have a cartilage portion to them that, that extends even further. It could be an injury to that area, obviously, without knowing definitively. But that's what it's going to be. It's going to be essentially a cartilage area of the rib injury. And so, I mean, just like a rib fracture, they're not usually intrinsically dangerous, but they are quite debilitating because, as it turns out, breathing uh, is important to what we need to do as human beings, especially if you're playing a sport. So mm-hmm. they can be very painful to, to play through. So the the cartilage, because we've talked a lot about, obviously, with cartilage and knee and, and tearing that, what's the difference, I guess, from tearing cartilage and, and like, fracturing cartilage? That might be a stupid question with, with this, and I'm guessing. Yeah, well, the functionality, I mean, cartilage is, is, we have cartilage in a lot of different places in our body, and it serves different functions, right? So when we talk about cartilage on, the, on a joint, for example, we're talking about the white, shiny surface that provides like a a frictionless or close to frictionless surface for a joint to glide and move, right? So that's articular or what we call hyaline cartilage. Now you're talking about cartilage in the ribs. That serves a different purpose altogether. So that's usually like an an attachment point for some of the muscles around. Um, And and so as you get a little bit further down, um, again, the ribs will extend from bone and kind of turn into more cartilage-like. So that's going to be more of a structural area where the body wants more motion right a bone is relatively rigid where cartilage has more movement so the function is very very different so when you injure it you know like a, a, a cartilage damage in the knee you're damaging kind of the weight-bearing surface whereas this cartilage is cartilage that's helping to create like the the rib cage if you will so it's more of a structural piece um and and like as the name implies rib cage is like a cage that pro- it's really to protect your heart lungs and your viscera um, and so when you have a dam- damage to there, it's going to be more of, of kind of a, pr- you're damaging the protective structure around your, your body. So, um, it, it doesn't have a lot of a long-term effects. So you, you injure the rib cartilage. You're not worried about developing arthritis there down the road, right? Whereas you injure cartilage in your knee and you are concerned about that. So they have different long-term issues as well. Interesting. He's Dr. Crow, Chippewa Valley Orthopedics and sports medicine. Do appreciate the time, and uh, you know what? I'm going to open it up to our listeners, too, if they've got uh, any recommendations for maybe uh, another song or something like that for for your intro, if you're up for that. We'll get a little nomination. Hey, we, we can make it fun. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, hey, if we do a couple versions, too, we can do that. We can do whatever we want, man. That's right. Exactly. That's right. So. We're rebels. <laughs> hey, uh, have a good uh, Mother's Day weekend. Treat the better half, you know extra special this weekend okay boss will do you as well all right you have a good weekend we'll talk to you soon bud yeah have you started planning your summer vacations yet making that checklist of things you need to do before that vacation now let me ask you the next question are you confident your vehicle can handle that road trip that you're planning if you hesitated the answer is no 
So here's what you do. Just visit Toys and Ford and check out their new and used inventory to upgrade that vehicle of yours. Or you can schedule an appointment with their service center to get your vehicle ready for that road trip. Make your vacations this summer more memorable with the help from Toys and Ford. How big is this series with the Royals considering what's coming up next for the remaining month of, of May? Got to go on the road against the Cardinals, which I don't know of any Brewers fan. I know the Cardinals are struggling, but I don't know of any Brewers fan that is that still good. comfortable. Yeah, that feels yeah. good about that. Tampa Bay, best team in baseball right now. You got to go on the road with them. Houston, defending champs. I know they're off to a slow start, but still. Uh, San Francisco, for four games, you just lost You know their series, almost got swept by them. And then Toronto, which I know they're struggling too, but that's on the road against Toronto. Kansas City has the second fewest wins all across Major League Baseball. The only team worse is Oakland. Which, yeah, right now <laughs> I can just feel Brewers fans just kind of clenching up saying, mm-hmm. they, they, a series they should win. And Don't worry, you play Oakland coming up in a few weeks here, uh, about a month in June, uh, June 9th, 10th, and 11th. But, you know, looking ahead of that, how big is the series then Very. With, with Kansas City? Very, just to kind of pull the nose up a little bit because it's been a rough last few weeks. And to go up against a team that, yeah, ideally you, you feel like you're better than. And these, you know, this is the kind of series that you should win, but it's also the kind of series that the Brewers haven't really won. Mm-hmm. You know, especially this year when you look at losing two or three to the Tigers and two or three to the, to the Rockies. Like, you know, you just got to, you got to figure it out. I mean, Maybe the maybe the Brewers will luck out on that. I'm not sure if they're facing a lefty in that series. Yeah, well, it's it's weird because I think for tonight's starter is still unknown. It, no, it's uh, it's almost it's a bullpen start, but it's a lefty. So it's like they're taking a page out of the Craig Council as like, oh, do you put your hitters out yeah. there to do that? But it's uh, I just but it's, it's, it's Taylor. It, okay, it's, it's yeah, it's a lefty that starts. So. Yeah, so he's appeared in like 11 games, but he's pitched one inning in like every game so yeah it's so it's gonna be yeah he said it's gonna be bullpen. Games, and then i believe me. the last two games are zach Greinke and jordan lyles yep so a couple right-handed former brewers yep yep so yeah it's that it's josh taylor tonight but again it's like and that was a question i was asking in the first hour your counsel what kind of lineup do you put out there do you put out that lineup that's like okay it's I a think, lefty but or do you just put out your best guys at this point i think you're just putting out your well i mean i i don't know enough about the Royals the bullpen to know like how many lefties do you have mm-hmm. like but I think you just put out who you got. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's tough. You don't want to. I don't think you want to outthink yourself. Right. So. Yeah, the most innings uh, Taylor has pitched in a game has been two. So I mean, you know, it's going to be a quick, yeah, appearance and then yeah. out sort of thing. So, yeah, I think and and they know that, right? Council knows. That. Yeah, they're they're obviously smarter than we are. So if we if right. if we know it, they know it. Right. Exactly. So, um, and you know the. the I appreciate you know the little uh, nod to the Craig Council Dodgers history where he did it with Wade Miley, but that surprised everybody. It was different when you know a guy's a bullpen guy as opposed to a starter, right? Throwing him out there and then taking the hook yes. after him right away. So, but no, I mean, yeah, I, I feel like I, I don't want to put a lot in a May series, but I feel like it it is an important series. It's not a you. It's not a must win, but it seems like it's a you better win. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to put it. It's a good phrase to put that. I like that. Yeah, you better win this series. Uh, and it's just kind of weird. I mean, we were talking about praising them, you know, April, great month, yeah. right? Great month. And then May, they win two total games. But the funny thing is, or maybe the sad thing is, is that they actually gained a game I'm because Pirates, Pirates yeah. are 1-9 in the last 10 and the Brewers are 2-8 and eight Yeah, the they could 10. conceivably, 
come out of tonight, first place in the division, despite mm-hmm. and have only won three games in the month. Right. And we're near the halfway point of the month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So are we at about a quarter of the season, a little over? How's your math with uh, when you kind of – could you do the whole baseball? Yeah, yeah. well, baseball messed it up when – or NFL messed it up when they went to 17 games. The math used to be really easy. Yeah. That every – you know, because 162 games, 16 games, so essentially every 10 games – Mm-hmm. And we're not quite there yet. They're 37 games in, so it would be about 40 to 41. Yeah, somewhere. Yeah. So by the end of the weekend, we would be at roughly at the quarter mark. At the quarter mark already of the season. Yeah, yeah, because it's about 23%. So yeah, so. 22.8%. So, okay, we'll save and assess. Seems like, the... seems like just yesterday we were at Hy-Vee watching the Brewers not be able to score any runs against the Cubs in the opener. That is true. And then they went on that run after a while then they couldn't score any runs the first eight innings in game two and then, you know, you couldn't stop them. And they, were, they were dominant. It just exploded. You know, so. Um, you know, what has, you know, there was an article up on MLB.com, like one quick fix for every team. Did you see, did you read that one? I saw there, I didn't read it, but I had seen like the headline for it. Okay. Any guesses on what uh, they pick for the Brewers? I don't know if it's a quick fix, but I know it needs to be fixed. You got to learn how to hit lefties again. That was their fix. Okay, well, figure, so. it, figure it out. <laughs> how do they figure it out? That's the question, right? Should we get the Euchre eight ball out? Maybe he can figure it out. Maybe, but you know, at this point, like, I'm not like I'm not entirely sure. I think that when the, when they get Luis Arias back, that will help. Mm-hmm. I think ultimately, right now, the best player on the roster to play first base against lefties is Mike Brasso. Even though he's he's struggled this year and he struggled against lefties, but I'm going to cut you off now. I, I know think you know where we're going. I know you do because I, I we did a poll question. I, I saw the yeah, I saw the poll. Okay, the so it's the Keston Luke Voigt one, and you're you were banging the table last oh, yeah, oh, year yeah, for Keston. Absolutely, so. but I don't think that's the answer because they're. The same guy, like guessing here, mm-hmm. uh, can't hit lefties. Like that's he's hitting he, lefties in Triple A right now. True, but that's also Triple A, right? Um, yeah. you know, he had the opportunity and extended, you know, last year and couldn't do it. Like just mm-hmm. he's got reverse, like he, like very pronounced reverse splits. Like his his bad, and that's what frustrated me so much last year was the Brewers just wouldn't play Kesson here against right-handed pitching, who he crushed, to play him against lefties where he struggled. Mm-hmm. For Andrew McCutcheon, who was struggling and is doing better now with the Pirates. But, mm-hmm. you know, it just... To me, it felt like they were trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. They were just saying, well, this is how this is you know how it works with so many people, so it's going to work here, and it didn't. And that surprised me with the Brewers because generally it feels like they're a pretty forward-thinking team. And mm-hmm. Craig Collins is a forward-thinking manager. But it just seemed like... They were going maybe too traditional. Yeah, they, they, yeah. They, it just it surprised me how I don't say they weren't thinking, but yeah, just how basic that thought was. Was well, he's a righty, so he should lefties. Yeah, but he's got a big sample size that says he doesn't. Well, we mm-hmm. don't care. We're going to do it anyway. It's like, but right. and he didn't. And then you can't be surprised when you know he can't do something that the numbers say he can't do. Mm-hmm. So if to me, yeah, they need a better option. To hit lefties that can play first base. It's not Luke Voigt. You know, his numbers in his career were, it's not as pronounced of a difference of a split as Kesson Hero, but it's still, he hits righties better than lefties. So he's being put in a not great position, but, you know, he and he's still, he's not exactly doing himself any favors with it. So, mm-hmm. you know, at some point, if this doesn't improve, you know, you've got to go outside the organization. You just, 
I mean, that or even play Roddy Telesmo against first baseman or against first baseman. <laughs> it's it's early for me against uh, lefties. Lefties because his numbers in his career are bad. Like mm-hmm. his numbers are actually bad. You know, they're halfway decent for you know. You would think being a you know big slugging left-handed batter that you know mm-hmm. he would just destroy righties and that's it. But that's not really fully the case. So I would honestly rather see Roddy Telez get more starts at first base than that. Or the other thing I think you do is if you start Roddy Tillis at first base, you need to find a way to incorporate both your catchers as a catcher and DH. I mean, well, William Contreras should be out there every time they play left, and he re- and he really has, so I, I can't really complain about that. But, you know, Victor Caratini, I think, has deserved a little bit more time in the lineup, even if it's just as a DH. You know, he's... You, know, you look at his numbers batting, and they're pretty good. Mm-hmm. Like, especially when you compare to what the other options are. So... But if otherwise, at some point, you're going to have to look outside the organization. And I'm not saying you have to go out and make a big splash, but you know, I, I done a, I looked a little bit at this because I'm just looking at like you know teams that are not doing well, like that would be compelled to move people. And the first person I came up with, familiar face, someone who plays first base, hits lefties, and on a team that's not going anywhere is Jesus Aguilar. I was just going to ask, is it Jesus? Yeah, it is. I mean, he's playing for Oakland right now, and you know his numbers against righties in limited sample size are pretty bad, but doesn't matter. He hits, he's been hitting lefties very well. Mm-hmm. Like that's someone, and it seems like it would fill the Brewers' first baseman quota of being a, a big beefy boy. But <laughs> but obviously that's a little ways out yet. I don't. And see he's that. not a guy that you got to play every day. You, you know. No, he, I think he you know at this point he kind of understands his role. Mm-hmm. Um. So and that's I mean that's you know the trade deadline still two and a half months away. So but. Right. You know, at some point, if this continues, something's going to have to be done because you can't just continue to roll it out. Mm-hmm. To me, if you were to bring Keston Hero back up at some point, remember he'd have to be re-added to the 40-man roster because he's off it. Yep. To me, he is more of a, if you're going to use him correctly, he is more of a replacement for Jesse Winker because they both hit righties. Mm-hmm. Now, and you know, Jesse Winker, is, his average is on base aren't bad. The issue is he's just not hitting for any power. Mm-hmm. You know, he... he you kind of feel bad for him because he got off to a decent start, and then he got sick, and then he got hurt while he was sick, and it just seems like he hasn't recovered since he's been back. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to me, if they were going to bring up Kessner and make the commitment to playing him a bunch, not just, hey, we're going to bring him up and he's going to get three at-bats a week, that would be a more, you know, if that would be a more suitable replacement. Otherwise, the other thing I think you do is, because I think they can option Luke Voigt. I think that was part of his... It can, so they can. I thought it might have been, but okay. like, because I've seen like, I remember when they the big deal came up, you know, when he resigned, that it was something along the lines of they could, but like Luke Voigt was still getting paid a good chunk of money if he's playing in AAA, okay. if I remember correctly. Now, okay. you, if you if you want to look that up, that's that's great, just to be sure. But I thought that was part of it, because really, there's, I mean, there's not a great option first base wise. But like I said, if you move Mike Brasso over there, if you bring up another infielder, you know, like Abraham Toro has been doing pretty decent in AAA, and then you just kind of you know shuffle the deck a little bit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, right now that's just that's the issue. They're just, and it's not just on that first base. But I don't want to say they you know the reason they can't hit lefties is entirely on Luke Voigt. Obviously, it's you know mm-hmm. everyone being unable to. Right. Yeah. Um, so it uh, it's. I try not to overreact. I don't think anybody's yeah. overreacting, but that's yeah. that's the unique thing I think about a baseball season, though, too, is that it is so long that it goes into these high. You know, you get your highs, and then instantly you're in you're in a low. We were on a high through April, right at the end of April, beginning of May. 
We were talking about right. what a great April. And there's probably going to be another, you know, there's going to be another spot where the Brewers win, you know, 8 of 10, and we're like, oh, here they go. It's just, that's right. that's the ebb and flow of baseball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, but hopefully they kind of use this one as a as a catalyst, this series. Just, yeah, to get, if nothing else, just to start feeling good. Like, you can just kind of tell it's a grind right now, mm-hmm. you know, on both sides. Yeah. You know? Yep, I totally agree. So, and, you know, if we were to take out left-handed pitching as as a quick fix if we could wave a magic wand would it be injuries on the other side of that probably you know brandon woodruff the other guys are kind of dinged up here you know luis urias they got tyrone taylor back Back. uh right now obviously garrett mitchell is probably done for the whole year that's unfortunate and even you you can even look at even in the minors because you gotta feel like maybe you know you know sal frelick's hurt right now he might have got the call up to the majors mm-hmm. instead of blake perkins had he not been hurt like the exact same day right. as garrett mitchell so you know yeah you're just a little a little injury luck the would you say it's it's fair to say the the one guy who has actually benefited from these injuries and it's not to, to say he's you know just lighting it up but is joey weimer yeah and i think joey weimer is one of those guys his offense has started to kind of you know I think he's picking it up a little bit, but mm-hmm. he's just one of those guys you're seeing that his defense is too good to not play. And I think that was a bit of a surprise to some people. I know it was to me because, you know, you read the scouting reports and stuff when he was in the minors was, you know, he's he's a pro to, you know, he could be a good right fielder because he can run and he's got mm-hmm. a good arm. Well, he's a pretty darn good center fielder too. Like you can see why that defense was so good when you had Garrett Mitchell in center and Joey Weimer in right. I mean, mm-hmm. that's essentially two high-level center fielders in the outfield. A lot of speed in there. A lot of speed. Um, you know, Joey Weimer, especially for a guy that's, what, 6'5", 6'6", six, 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 he can run. Yeah. I mean, he's... 222. He, yeah, he's, he's not a like, big dude. Yeah. He's a big dude. So, no, I think this is this has been good for him. And, you know, I think, the, as I said, the offense is kind of starting to steady a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the good news for him so far is, you know, the you know he hasn't struck out a ton. Especially, I mean, he had some, you know, high strikeout stops in the minors. But, you know, it, he's been it's been workable here. It's just... You know, continuing to work. You know, those those young guys all got off to such good starts, but eventually the league figures out what you're doing, mm-hmm. and it's it's not always you know how do you start. It's how do you make that first adjustment when they make the adjustment to you. And we're seeing that from Weimer and, and Bryce Terang. The numbers are starting to go up for him a little bit more too. Yeah, but I think know, that, I, we that's just that a pro- last, that's just a process. Last seven games, I think he's hitting 300 right now. Bryce yeah, that's Terang. just and that's just a process. Like. Mm-hmm. It's a. It's kind of like boxing. It's the. It's the punch, and it's the counter punch, and it's the counter punch. You're just mm-hmm. kind of going back and forth with it. And I mean, I think one of the, you know, you talk about Bryce Terang, you talk about his defense there too with these youngsters. Right. I mean, it's all speed. Yeah, the you're board getting. Here. I think you feel good about that. Where you know, even if the offense is struggling at times, you're still getting good defense out of it. So you're getting like they're bringing something to the table, mm-hmm. and that's all you want out of your like everyone that's going out there to take the field. Like, what do you bring into the table? Is it you know for some guys it's offense, for some guys it's defense. You know, whatever it is, like mm-hmm. do something to help your team win. Right. Summer is a busy time. Holidays, vacations, get-togethers, which also means you're going to need a lot of food. So you need a go-to place you can trust that has the widest selection of products with the best prices and the best fuel saver program in the Chippewa Valley. That's Hy-Vee in Eau Claire. From their meat department, deli, bakery, and more, Hy-Vee has you covered for all those get-togethers and vacations for this summer. Plus, save more money for your vacations with their epic fuel savers program. Make it a memorable and epic summer with the help from Hy-Vee. All right, Brandon. So let's uh, let's rank some coaches. So again, this is just based off the the coaches we have heard that the Bucks have talked or are planning to talk to. I have I looked again. 
There's not a report about Nick Nurse. So if you're like, well, Nick Nurse should be we're doing it based off the coaches we have heard that the Bucks have or are planning on talking to, based off of like Adrian Wojnarowski or or any of those reports. So these are the names that we have heard thus far. Uh, Kenny Atkinson. I always think whenever I I always get confused when I think when I say Kenny Atkinson's name because there was a player I know Kenny played, but there was another player in the NBA I think in the '90s that played. NBA hoops. I gotta, I gotta double check it, but I always get them. I feel like I always get them mixed up here a little bit, and maybe it's just me making up stuff in my mind. But, or maybe it is this Kenny Atkinson, and I just never got. It. But, anyways, um, Kenny Atkinson, former head coach for the Nets, he's currently an assistant coach with the with the Golden State Warriors. He's on there. You've got. Um, you got uh, is it uh, uh, Charles Lee, their current associate head coach for the Milwaukee Bucks, who has been getting interviews and uh, you know looked at for other head coaching jobs across the league. He's on there. Scott Brooks, the former head coach for the Oklahoma City Thunder during the KD and Russell Westbrook uh, era, and also head coach for the uh, for the Washington Wizards. Uh, on there and uh, oh uh, the former Hornets uh, head coach uh, James Borago he is also uh, listed on there as somebody who the Bucks are interested in talking to or are talking to now there's a common theme in a little bit of these so like James and, and Kenny Atkinson I believe too again from the Greg Popovich tree uh, of coaching, which Mike Boonholzer was also a branch from the Greg Popovich tree, a uh, name that I know you and I talked about uh, a little bit was uh, no Kenny Atkinson. My bad was not a part of the Greg Popovich tree, but he was an Atlanta Hawks assistant from 2012 to 2016. So did that coincide with Boonholzer? Might have. Let me double check. Let me just. Because then that kind of would be like you know a, a small branch, if you will. It did. So he was an assistant for for Mike Boonholzer uh, when he was with Atlanta. So a little bit of a kind of probably a lot of the same philosophies, a little bit. But nonetheless, with those four, Brandon, if you had to choose between those four, and this is you know I know Eric Name mentioned from the Athletic who covers the Bucks said that the Bucks are eyeing potentially currently employed head coaches now. I think everybody in the world who's a Bucks fan would love Eric Spolstra, <laughs> or, or you know that I think that would that's my number one if I had anybody you know on this. Yeah, but, but it I, ain't gonna happen. No. The only other one I would think of, I was trying to think of some like realistic ones. Now that he's out, Monty Williams, maybe somebody like that, possibly. I don't know, but I thought that was kind of interesting. You'd have to do a trade package, I would think, and I don't know what the Bucks could offer yeah. uh, at this point. But just looking at the four, those four names I've just mentioned to you, Brandon, who's number one on that list for you? I think it's Scott Brooks. Ooh, really? I mean, he explain why, Brandon. Well, he's got he's got a couple very successful tenure with the Thunder. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, having to work through or not work through, but work with several burgeoning superstars with Harden mm-hmm. and Durant and you know Serge Ibaka, Russell Westbrook, like. Mm-hmm. I think people forget sometimes that the uh, the Thunder were in the finals a year. 
And that was actually not necessarily the best year for them. But, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, just a lot. Even, you know, went to Washington. I just think that's a kind of a tough place to win. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just a franchise that's not, you know, necessarily, you know, firing on all cylinders right now. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they do in the coming years with Johnny Davis there. But um, I don't know. But I would say amongst the four, like, to me, I mean, he's just been around a while. Mm-hmm. And he's had a lot of, you know, he's had success. Especially, you know, coaching in you know at a time when the West was pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I would say Scott Brooks. I did forget to mention another assistant, Adrian Griffin, who's with the Portland Trailblazers, but I don't know if that would change your. I don't think so. Your, your thought. He he's been around a, since two thousand eight. Uh, two thousand eight, two thousand ten. He was a Bucks assistant. Two thousand ten to fifteen, Chicago Bulls assistant. Fifteen to sixteen, Orlando assistant. Sixteen to eighteen, Oklahoma City assistant. Uh, and then, or no, did I say? Uh, Toronto Raptors assistant, excuse me. Uh, 18 to present, uh, he's he's a Toronto Raptors assistant too. So I, th- th- if I said Portland, I apologize. It's it's Raptors. So um, I think I might go with Kenny Atkinson uh, on, on my list. Um, you look at the Brooklyn years, you know, with him, and, and that was right towards, you know, the end of his was that whole mess started coming up with, with Brooklyn, just beginning, right? Yeah. And then – Steve Nash comes in, and you know you, you make all those moves and that. So, I of those guys, and I'm not saying Kenny Atkinson would be my pick if I had a choice of more people if we added to this thing. But I think with those four, I might go with Kenny Atkinson, and I do like the fact that he did spend a couple of these past couple of years with Golden State. Um, you know. I think Steve Kerr's a good coach. I mean, they've had great teams in that, and 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 that. But I I might go with I might go with Kenny Atkinson, and he spent sixteen to twenty with Brooklyn first year twenty and sixty two twenty eight fifty four then went forty two and forty and then yeah, the record's not going to be great, but then also have a ton to work with for a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, you can make the case too. The records for a lot of these coaches aren't going to look great. That's why I don't have jobs right now. Right, exactly. The finding a coach in the NBA, like to me, it's we always have this. I feel like at a, at a certain sport, at a certain time, like how valuable is a major league baseball manager? How valuable is a, is a hockey coach? You know, is it players or coaches? And I feel like basketball is such a tricky one because I feel like some of these coaches. So, for for instance, Charlotte. Sorry, Jordan, but you haven't been the best of picking talent yeah, and building oh, yeah. your team. How much can you assess from the coach because of the lack of talent? So that would almost make it sound like, well, then it's talent over coaching. But then you look at the instances where, like, Miami. Like, Eric Spolster, I think, is a huge key of why Miami is – yeah, they got good players, but Eric Spolster, I think you, we can all tell, is just with the job he has done – and yeah, he won championships with LeBron and all that, but I think he's know, won. After. He's won them in a couple. He's won in different decades in kind of different ways. And I, you look at like I'll go back to the Phil Jackson reference. Jordan and the Bulls were they were getting the postseason, but they weren't taking that next step. You know, I know a lot of people will knock Jackson because of the teams he coached, talent wise. But yeah, they were good teams. But he was the coach that could take them up. Another step. Yeah, Same thing for the Lakers. Get over the edge, yeah. Same thing for Del Harris wasn't winning championships with the Lakers. Phil Jackson comes in, they win championships. 
So it's it to me basketball head coaches are kind of like that. It's it's almost a fine line. Like you you need obviously talent, but I think that coach now I don't know. It, it, it's hard to like a coach. A coach isn't going to come in and directly. It's, I, I don't know how to explain it, Brandon. It's just it's kind of a difficult thing to because you need the talent on there, which puts it in the GM role. But I mean, look at Greg Popovich right now, one of the best of all time. Spurs haven't done anything the last few years. Yeah, a little bit here. So, but that goes back to the whole talent thing. It, it's something that I feel like it it needs to be. A cohesive unit. You need to have that talent on there, and then a coach that can come in and you know take it up a notch. And I think that's where the Bucks are at. Okay, so maybe this is an example. I'm trying to talk through this here a little bit. Are the Bucks kind of like, and they won a championship, so maybe a little bit different. But are the Bucks kind of like those Bulls teams and those Lakers teams, where great regular seasons they get to the postseason, but they underperform in the postseason. Phil Jackson comes in, and they become dynasties. Is that where the Bucks are right now, where they need uh, that coach to come in, even though they've already won one? I mean, it's tough to make that comparison just because of what we know in hindsight with the Bulls. Mm-hmm. But they also won one. Like, if they won a title under uh, Doug Collins, does he get fired? Even though he did get fired coming off an Eastern Conference Finals trip. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. So I don't think it's quite the same thing. Mm-hmm. And Phil Jackson, we got hired, wasn't Phil Jackson. No, no he, he was an he was an assistant. Yeah. He was just you know some tall assistant that no one really knew a ton about. Yeah, he played. He did. He, tr- he, he tried. Um, and no great coach. Nobody knew it was going to be a great coach until that coach actually got an opportunity and started coaching. Right. You know, so we can't sit here and peg who the next great coach is is going to be. But I don't know. It's finding an NBA coach. I think is such a tricky thing. I, I feel like it's a tricky thing. I agree. You know, you got Doc Rivers who's still around, but Doc Rivers, what's been his biggest complaint for, from people? He's won a championship, but has it been lack of postseason success even though he's gotten a championship? Because look at the teams he's coached besides Orlando, his first time run. Yeah, there's been some good ones. And, well, I mean, we'll see how this ends with them this weekend now that, you know, Sixers and Celtics are going to game seven. Mm-hmm. What if that's one of the targets that the Bucks are targeting, bringing him back to Milwaukee since he played at Marquette? No, that's okay. I was just going to ask. That was my no, follow-up to you. You don't no. want Doc Rivers there? No, I don't think so. No? Monty Williams? I'm going to go through some current coaches right now with you. Maybe. I like Monty Williams. I do. I, I think that, you know, obviously they, they got knocked out in convincing fashion last night, but I don't know. That's tough. Like, that's tough for the, with how they adjust on the fly. I appreciate them being aggressive, you know, making that mm-hmm. move for KD and stuff. But I don't know, like... I, I think I'd be all right with that. I'd be good with Monty Williams. Um, Rick Carlisle? There was some talk before Boonles. I retired. remember that. Because he's with Indiana right now. Is he the head coach? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Or is he kind of played out, if you will? I think he might I think he might be. Tom Thibodeau? No. no. Uh, Mike Brown ain't going anywhere after the year. He had with Sacramento. No. I think he's staying there. No. Ty Lue? No. I agree with you. Uh, Malone ain't leaving Denver. Nope. Uh, Quinn Snyder ain't leaving Atlanta. He just got hired there. Kid ain't coming back. No. <laughs> Please, no, no, no for no. the love of Mary, do not bring him in. 
Um, Steve Nash, no. He's not coaching, but no, I don't want Steve Nash on there either. Uh, no. You know one assistant that he was like – because it's hard to figure out assistant coaches. It's not like the NFL. Yeah, you don't, you don't know what their influence is. But I feel like a few years ago, the hot name for assistant coaches was David Fisdale. Yeah. And you don't really hear about him anymore. Because he was like, well, Memphis, but he was like a LeBron guy too. So like his name was like attached everywhere uh, at that point. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to look. I'm going to look at coaches who aren't or who haven't been there for like a year or two because it's just not going to happen, right? Like, Darvin Ham ain't going to leave the Lakers to come back to Milwaukee. No. That's not going to happen. Um, what about – it's not going to be Greg Popovich. Um, I don't know. Like, I'm looking at these current coaches. There's not – there's, like, a year or two, and then there's, like, we just know guys ain't going to be there or going to be available. Like, Steve Clifford? No. I don't want – J.B. Bickerstaff? No. Nobody just really gets me, I guess, Taylor Jenkins from Memphis. I mean, the job he's done with Memphis. He's done a really good job there, but does it, was he going to want to leave at this point? Or look at what's going on with Memphis right now with kind of some of the stuff that's going down there. You know, you got Dylan, who Memphis has already said we are not bringing him back at any at any cost. The whole John Morant situation, you know, off-the-court stuff. Does he maybe – okay, if he's interested in it, though, would you be interested in him? In Ja? No, oh. the, the, the Grizzlies <laughs> head coach. Yeah. He'd be – I mean, he. I think he'd be – if we're going that route of looking at these coaches, he'd be near the top. I I mean, look at what he's done with, with Memphis. I, I think you have to put him, you know, Taylor Jenkins in that conversation. Because, what, Memphis was the two seed this year? Last year they were the two seed? Uh, in the Western Conference, is it fair to say that the Bucks have a better ro- uh, roster than what Memphis does? I think so. I would I would say that. Um, and he's actually maybe this is part of their thinking when they say this. He was a Bucks assistant from 2018 to 19, hmm. and an Atlanta Hawks assistant from 13 to 18. So he's a Mike Boonholzer protege. But maybe the the hit on him though too, Brandon, is playoff success. Even though it's, you know, he's missed. So he's coached four years in Memphis, missed the playoffs the first year, thirty-four and thirty-nine, made it his second year, lost in the first round. Uh, then twenty twenty-one, twenty twenty-two, when they won fifty-six games, lost in the conference semis. So it'd be like this round that's going on right now, and then this past year they lost to the Lakers in in the first round. So maybe that would be. The naysayers would be like, well, that's a typical Boonholzer protege. Good regular season, but can't do anything in the postseason. But I feel like the Buck. I don't know. I'd be interested in that. I, I think I would be. I also think that I would be interested in Charles Lee, too, the assistant. Like, I think there's something to be said for, you know, especially if it's someone that's going to, you know, tweak some things, but not, you know, overhaul things. Maybe if someone that Giannis is comfortable with. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. I think you have to consult Giannis. Yes. In this. Yeah, we talked about that last week. You don't necessarily say it's your decision, but hey, what do you think about these guys? We want you know, you're obviously you're an important part of this franchise. We want you to have a feel like you have a voice in this process. Mm-hmm. And maybe you know, Taylor Jenkins, former Bucks assistant, Darvin Ham's a former Bucks assistant. Do they go after those guys that have those relationships already pre built with Giannis? 
you know, that's kind of thing. You know, I don't know if Monty Williams. I when I picture Monty Williams, I think of him after the finals going to the Bucks locker room, mm-hmm. and when the Bucks are celebrating, and I think Giannis has his arm around him or something like that too. I think yeah, is that key number one is to make Giannis happy with his hire? It's yeah, it's up there. How crazy would that be though? Two years after the Bucks beat the Suns, the coach that coached the Bucks is fired. The coach that coached the Suns is now with the Bucks. Yeah. That would be nuts. It wouldn't totally surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me now, but imagine thinking two years ago that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Okay, so I think I've finalized. Spolster is not available. (laughs) Steve Kerr is not available. Phil Jackson is not available. Pat Riley is not available. Red Auerbach is not available. Red Auerbach is not available. Lenny Wilkins ain't walking through that door. (laughs) Um... Larry Bird's probably not coming back to coach. He was a, I would love to have seen Larry Bird coach a few more years. His limited time, he dude racked up wins, man. Yes, he did. Uh, don't hire Isaiah Thomas to be a coach. No, no. So, of the current coaches, if the Bucks are serious about that, I will say Monty Williams and uh, the Memphis dude. Those are my top two for current ones. Realistic ones. And by realistic is no spolster of Kerr. What about Bill Belichick? <laughs> hey, Vince Lombardi coached basketball. Took him to a state championship in high school. Didn't play basketball. Learned uh, basketball from a book. Checked it out from a li- True story. Checked it out from a library. You just say. His, uh, one of his uh, players ended up coaching Bill Parcells. I hope they ran a play called Power Sweep. I think it was probably one of those plays that was like four corners and passing it back and forth. It was probably very similar to the Badger basketball offense a little bit here. I mean, that, you yeah, know, it's and they're practicing in the practicing with the peach basket. Mm, yeah, that was that was at uh, I can't remember. It was at high school uh, when he was teaching chemistry in high school. He was a basketball coach too. So how crazy would that be? Like just later on, be like, yeah, Vince Lombardi was my chemistry teacher. Right? That, yeah. I think people, that that's that's what's kind of cool about, for me, uh, like with the history stuff like that. Yeah. Like Lombardi wasn't this former NFL player or no. brought up in the coaching wings no, and, or and that. No, or like there, there's just so many, yeah, there's so many of those older coaches that just, they have those resumes no one's ever going to have. Bud right. Grant played in the NBA, won an NBA championship. Yeah. Was ra- yeah, like, and then was coaching in the uh, in, in uh, Canada. Yeah, and then comes over. Yeah, like, there's just so many of those older. Mark coaches. Tressman tried doing that, but that didn't work. <laughs> no, there's just so many of those older coaches that have those resumes that just it's not going to happen again. I know. I just, yeah, I love the fact that Lombardi's coaching career started off in high school, and and like even Mike Holmgren's kind of similar to that too. Because, you know, even like some of those coaches, they started off in high school, then, you know, you moved to college, and then I think it was BYU where he worked with Steve Young, and then you kind of go up there. But now it's like if you don't start off in college or the NFL, you almost are at right. a disadvantage because you're like going younger now. And now it's like, oh my gosh, he's not a head coach at age 40. What's wrong with him? Right. But yeah, chemistry teacher and high school coach. Then he goes to Fordham. Then he goes to Army. Rams. Then he goes to the Giants. And then finally Green Bay. But, yeah, that would be cool. I I wonder if there's anybody around. It'd be a long time. 
if anybody's around that could still say to this day, Vince Lombardi was my chemistry teacher. Jeez. How cool would that be? It would be really cool. That's going to do it for this episode of the Man Cave Podcast. Big thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Man Cave Podcast. A couple of quick reminders for you. Don't forget to follow and subscribe to the Man Cave Podcast on your favorite podcasting platforms like Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Amazon, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And you can leave us a voice message, whether it's a comment, analysis, or a question for a question and answer segment. Just get that link in the podcast description. Also, don't forget to rate and review the podcast if you haven't done so already. This helps other people find the Man Cave Podcast. And be a friend and tell a friend about the Man Cave Podcast. Until the next episode, I'm Dan Casper, and thank you for listening to the Man Cave Podcast.